We are back. And as mentioned at the top of the show, we are extremely pleased and privileged to have on today's program Peter G. Peterson. Mr. Peterson is chairman of both the Council on Foreign Relations, which is one of the world's premier organizations fostering cooperation at the highest levels of government and industry, and the Blackstone Group, a leading global investment and advisory firm. Peter Peterson has served at the highest levels of industry, financial institutions, and government. In addition to his chairmanships already mentioned, his distinguished resume includes being chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, founding chairman of the Institute of International Economics in Washington, D.C., former CEO of Bell & Howell, former chairman and CEO of Lehman Brothers, and U.S. Secretary of Commerce for President Richard Nixon. Mr. Peterson has examined what's going on in this country from a financial standpoint, an economic standpoint, and he doesn't, frankly, like what he sees. Uh, You may have noticed in Newsweek magazine, July 12th, an excerpt from Mr. Peterson's book, Running on Empty, was presented with 10 partisan myths, five that the Republicans seem to fall for and five Democratic myths. It's clear Mr. Peterson feels that he needs to speak out on the current grave situation he sees mounting around us. In fact, he said in the Washington Post, today, mounting federal and trade deficits pose a major threat to both capital formation and economic performance over the next several decades. But few business leaders are speaking out against this destructive tide of red ink. I think Peter Peterson's message needs to get out there, and I'm delighted that here at KDVS today we can assist that process. I myself have traveled to other countries, such as Argentina and Brazil, and seen what happens when they have an economic meltdown. It isn't just a theoretical concern. Uh, My grandparents, and to some degree parents, lived through the Great Depression that took place in this country. Again, demonstrating that uh, that woeful economic conditions and the misery they bring about are, are not just theoretical matters. We've lived in times of economic prosperity for so long that it's hard for us to imagine what might happen if that were all to go away. Well, Peter Peterson has spent some time analyzing uh, where we might go wrong, and he's here to talk about it today. Specifically, his book, Running on Empty, How the Democratic and Republican Parties Are Bankrupting Our Future and What Americans Can Do About It. About this book, Warren Buffett has said, Today, too many of our country's key economic decisions are being made with an eye to the next election rather than to the next generation. This book explains in simple but powerful terms why it's imperative that our attention be refocused now. Peter G. Peterson, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you, sir. Your book, Running on Empty, is selling well, and that's what you're here to talk to us well, about. Well, it's uh, I'm shocked. It's, it's a bestseller, which is truly a shocking development. Well, uh, it deserves to be. Having just read it, uh, I'm, I'm, I wish someone had written a book like this 20 years ago. Thank you, sir. It was excerpted in Newsweek Magazine's July 12th issue. And uh, we should note that you're critical of Americans' politicians of both parties who have offered more in the way of government commitments while simultaneously reducing government intake. The result? Giant budget deficits. Now, my first question would be that it was said by Vice President Cheney that deficits don't matter and that Ronald Reagan had proved that. Why is that not so? Well, why don't we look at it this way? If you have a budget deficit, the government gets the first crack at that because the deficit must be financed. That comes out of the savings of our 
people, and it depletes the savings pool that is needed to invest. It's out of investment that economies grow and prosper. So think of deficits as being negative savings and over the long term, negative investment and therefore negative growth. Now for a while, as we're doing at the present time, you can import foreign capital and we're importing $4 billion every workday, half to finance what are called the current account deficits, which is made up importantly of the trade deficit, and the other half because we've got very little savings in this country and we need the money to invest. But there's a big problem with that because we are borrowing these incredible amounts of money at a time when the rest of the world is aging faster than we are. All of these so-called entitlement spending programs, which is where the big money is spent, Social Security and Medicare, are going to explode when 77 million boomers retire. But if we think our problems are formidable when the boomers retire, and they're going to start in five years, they're a cakewalk compared to Europe and Japan, which has very, very low birth rates. And therefore, they're going to experience a drop in the number of young tax-paying workers. Also, their benefits are much higher, and their taxes, their payroll taxes, for example, in Europe, are 35% of pay. That compares to our 15% in this country. So there's a question of how much can you tax people in the final analysis. They also retire much earlier in Europe. In France, for example, only 34% of the people between 55 and 64 are even working. The unions are immensely powerful over there, which explains why in Paris, for example, if anybody has the courage to suggest even a minor increase in retirement age from 56 or something like that to 58, you see riots in the street. So here we are, a country, a great country, that is depending on foreign capital to finance both its foreign deficits and its investment at a time when the rest of the world is going to need that money for their own purposes. So we are taking risks that Paul Volcker, for example, former chairman of the Fed, predicts a 75% chance that we'll have a crisis in five years as foreigners either need the money for their own purposes or fear a crisis. So that's the reason why I believe deficits matter a lot. Yeah. And when we talk about the future, let's be sure we understand in human terms what we're talking about. We're talking about our own children and our own grandchildren. And I'm the lucky father of five kids and nine grandkids. And I'm a lucky guy who's been able to carve my life up in a way that I can spend some real time with those kids. And I really worry and feel guilty about the fact that what we're really doing, whether we admit it or not, is slipping our kids a huge check for our free lunch in the form of tremendous debts and tremendous tax increases. And I was presumably educated at the University of Chicago where Milton Friedman, very conservative economist, used to say, a long-term tax cut is not a tax cut at all if you don't cut long-term spending. It's just a deferred tax increase on your kids. So those are some of the reasons I'm very concerned. 
Well, you close running on empty with a letter to young people, uh, people probably the age of students here at this university, and uh, their apathy seems to be of special concern to you. Well, I must tell you, remember the old joke of the philosophy professor who said, which is worse, ignorance or apathy? <laughs> and some kid from the back of the class says, I don't know and I don't care, <laughs> you know. And the fact that only 25% of our young people vote is another factor that makes it very difficult to reform these programs politically. Well, one thing I really like about Running on Empty is that the book, uh, unlike so many, which spend a lot of time talking about how bad things are, and then at the end sort of tack on some practical solutions, you spend quite a bit of energy in outlining how you think reform can be brought about. Right. And you, you stress the four different areas where you see that, in Social Security, in Medicare, in our federal budget, in our federal budget processing, and in political reform. Yeah, let's take Social Security. What most people do not understand is the fact that Social Security benefits are indexed to inflation, to be sure. And I think many Americans understand that they go up, you know, by 100% of the cost of living adjustment. Right. What they don't understand is they also go up with wages. And what is important about that is you hear all of this baloney, really, that we're going to grow out of this problem. We're not going to grow out of this, this problem because as your productivity goes up, as your economy grows, so do the wages, and therefore the costs go up. And Lady Thatcher in Great Britain did something in the 1980s, which I think forms the basis of one of the solutions that I propose. She proposes that you eliminate the wage indexing. And in that way, the parents and their kids would get the same benefit in inflation-adjusted dollars. And I like to visualize a discussion between parents and their kids because I don't think parents have for one moment lost their love of their kids. It's just that they've been so misled by political amnesia and anesthesia and trust funds that really don't exist and things of that sort that they don't understand there's a real problem. But let's assume there was an honest discussion and the kids look at their parents and say, Mom and Dad, I have now discovered that if we keep on the current path, my payroll taxes to cover Social Security and Medicare are going to double. Now, is that fair that I should be paying for, for your benefits? And I think most parents would say, Jesus, I didn't know that. So I think eliminating the wage indexing and thereby eliminating all of the huge unfunded liabilities for Social Security would um, uh, make a huge positive difference, and I think it could be sold, particularly with the right kind of leadership. Yeah, I was not aware of this wage indexing issue with Social Security until I read your book. So there's yeah, most people are not aware of it. It makes a huge difference. Yet another reason to grab a copy of running on empty. Uh, unfortunately, you, uh, you, you bring out something that I, I also was unaware of, that, that Medicare is actually an even thornier problem than Social Security. I don't want to ruin the lunch of your, <laughs> of your audience, but there's something we call unfunded liabilities that the, the government manages to keep off the books. But uh, the liabilities for their future programs are not funded because the trust fund, is, as we call it, is an oxymoron. It shouldn't be trusted and it's not funded. And uh, these bills are in the following magnitude. 
they range depending on how far out you go from $44 trillion to $74 trillion. Now, I didn't say billion. I said trillion. Right. The entire net worth of this country, the total net worth of this country, is about $42 trillion. So in a technical sense, we are bankrupt as a country. Now, the American public has no clue about this. They do not know that we're passing on unthinkable debts to our kids because these liabilities don't appear anywhere. Right. They're off the books. And the Congress is engaged in an act of uh, supreme hypocrisy, if not chutzpah, in that they pass a Sarbanes-Oxley law and a so-called ERISA law that requires public corporations to fund their corporate pensions in no more than 30 years. Well, I make a proposal that the government ought to go on Mm Sarbanes-Oxley and ERISA and apply it to their own pensions for retirees. If we did that, we would end up adding over a trillion and a half dollars to the annual budget. Nobody knows that. It is essential that American people be told the truth. And when they're told the truth, in a bipartisan setting with a bold president and something I've proposed, the 9-11 Commission has had a dramatic effect, as you know, on awakening people to the truth about how vulnerable we are and what needs to be done about it. I propose that the next president immediately set up a twin deficit commission, not composed of the usual assortment of this constituency and that constituency that never wants any of their programs changed, but a group of Americans of the quality of Governor Kane and Congressman Lee Hamilton. I'm talking about people like Paul Volcker and Bob Rubin and Senators Rudman and Kerry and Nunn and people like that who transcend normal partisan politics and who not only speak the truth but are credible. And I think the sooner we get at that in the next administration, the better. But anybody that thinks there's going to be an honest discussion of this problem during election year doesn't understand American politics. Right. I'd like to compliment you for your very own uh, uh, transcending of partisan politics in this book, because you certainly are are not uh, sparing of your criticism of of the party of which you were part. uh, And the Democrats, I might add. Yes, indeed. They've never met an entitlement program they didn't like. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, You had some very... Very strong words in there about uh, about what the current status of uh, our budget is, and I kind of quote you on that. But for for your comment, you said that this administration and the Republican Congress have presided over the biggest, most reckless deterioration of America's finances in history. Well, let's talk about that. I've been a Republican all my life. I remain one. I intend to remain one. We've got an unholy uh, combination of what I call theologians, namely uh, the group that are tax cut theologians that have never met a tax cut they didn't like. I told you earlier, it isn't a tax cut at all unless you return long-term spending. It's just a deferred tax increase on our kids. Sure. In the meantime, spending has gone up under a Republican administration. And this isn't the curmudgeon Pete Peterson saying this. The Cato Institute, which is highly conservative, refers to the spending uh, explosion 
Dick Armey, whom you may recall, was a very conservative House Majority Leader, says we can't pin this one on the Democrats because we're in charge of everything here. And then the Republicans have a group called the Star of the Beasters. And their theory is totally different than the supply-side Republicans. They say cut, cut taxes because the revenues are going to go down, not up, and then we'll have to cut these benefits dramatically. And I say to them, you better be careful what you wish for. Right. Because you've got 77 million boomers, a third of whom save, have nothing saved, zero, at the time of their retirement. Half of the people in America today, between 45 and 54, have total financial assets before liabilities of less than $46,000. You have a world in which 91% of the income of the bottom fifth of, of America's elderly depend on government benefits. So I look at the Star of the Beasters and say, you better be careful what you wish for. Do you honestly believe you can take 77 million boomers and a third or a half or whatever the number is of those have got no savings and you suddenly announce you're going to cut their benefits very substantially and you expect no social or political effects? You expect these people who've been promised all these benefits and misled to say, thanks, I needed that and I deserved it? Or do you think there's very likely to be a major social and political reaction. And besides Star of the Beasters, when was the last time in a big crisis government got smaller? Now, the Democrats, in turn, have never met an entitlement they don't like. Right. Universal entitlement. So on Medicare, for example, in the recent debate over prescription drugs, I don't know of a single person who has studied Medicare who doesn't believe that the current costs are unsustainable. They don't say a word about what they're going to do about the current costs, but they make an unsustainable program even more sustainable, can unsustainable. You, can you tell us just how, how bad that is? I was startled by the numbers in your book. that You, you started with $400 billion, uh, in increased liability to the taxpayer, but it's actually worse than that. It was 555 and that is nothing compared to what it's going to be in 20 years right. when the 77 million boomers retire. So what's the complaint of the Democrats? is that the benefits aren't big enough. So we have this unholy conspiracy of several groups of Republicans and the Democrats who are conspiring, in effect, to slip the check to our own children and grandchildren. And that's why, at bottom, I argue that Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a German philosopher, once said, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world it leaves to its children and I think we're failing that moral test. And that is a primary reason that I wrote this book. We appreciate very much your talking with us. And uh, again, the book is Running on Empty by Peter G. Peterson. And we think if you don't have this on your uh, library shelf at home, you need to go out and get one. Thank you, sir. I found Running on Empty to be very compelling reading, and uh, I'm delighted that we're able to bring you Peter G. Peterson here at KDVS. I can remember 
20 years ago uh, when Reagan swept into power. Ronald Reagan became president with a promise to reform the budget of this country. He had a young man named David Stockman, a whiz kid of a congressman, uh, who set to work uh, at the Office of Budget and Management to reform uh, how we spent money in this country. Well, one day I remember coming in, I was attending medical school at the time, and came in, looked down at the, the headline of the LA Times saying, David Stockman predicted a $180 billion budget deficit in the upcoming year. It's part of the great Reagan myth that these tax cuts that, uh, that were, were given to the public, which I think uh, were by and large a good idea. I think the upper tax rate being uh, 90%, uh, uh, 70, 90% was not a good thing. Having it uh, under 50% was in theory a very good idea. But on the other hand, as David Stockman would later point out in a book he wrote called The Triumph of Politics, when it came time to actually made it, making those painful cuts, politicians refrained from doing so. Mr. Peterson mentioned the starve the beast philosophy, which says that, uh, that if we give tax cuts and run up huge deficits, well, that'll just force us to make the cuts. Well, it hasn't forced any politicians to do so yet, and there seems to be no chance that they're about to anytime soon. You know, our former governor here in California, Jerry Brown, once said that uh, no politician ever got ahead by promising people less. Well, uh, Governor Brown has been proven wrong. Some people have made great political mileage out of promising people less. It's when it comes down to delivering people less that politicians realize that uh, there's no profit in that, and they simply won't do it. So I recommend to you very highly you get a copy of Running on Empty. Obviously, in 20, uh, 25 minutes, um, we cannot adequately cover a complex economic and political matter, particularly since, uh, I will admit, I'm not an economist. Nevertheless, uh, it's there. A lot of it is there in the book, and I would commend it to you highly once again, and that you do some reading on the web. There are people who do not agree with Mr. Peterson and who argue that, uh, that Social Security and Medicare are not really in a problem, that we will grow out of it, etc. I find this point of view um, uh, rather unpersuasive. Mr. Peterson bases a lot of his arguments on uh, demographics, how populations change, the simple fact that uh, as like the baby groomers, that of which I'm a part, uh, reach retirement age, it's going to be de- very difficult for you younger individuals out there to keep the payments up for us. I perhaps want to clarify one, uh, one point that uh, we made here in our discussion um, uh, about Social Security in particular, uh, how, it, how it is indexed. Um, wages in this country tend to rise up a little bit faster than prices do. Social Security is indexed to the increase in wages, not the increase in prices, which may make something like a 40% difference. Mr. Peterson feels that we can no longer afford to index it to wages, but should index it to prices. In other words, you'd get out of Social Security the same equivalent uh, um, benefits in the future that you would today based on today's prices. That does seem fair enough, and if a simple measure like that will make a dramatic uh, uh, rescue of, of the funding possible, well, I would have to agree. That seems to make a great deal of sense. You know, one reason this book is such a breath of fresh air is that, uh, that Peter Peterson tells it as he sees it across party lines. He does not hesitate to criticize the Republicans where he thinks they deserve it. And, um, and, of course, the Democrats, where they, he feels they deserve it as well. There's a lot of blame to go around. I, I think that he's right to do this, and I have a great deal of respect for a man that will. 
Uh, too too often we listen to like a talk show, a Rush Limbaugh, for example, that uh, just seems unable to find a word of criticism to say about economic policy as as practiced by Republicans. This is dishonest. I also agree that uh, the Democrats' inability to do any retrenchment, any cutting back of entitlement programs, uh, is part of the recipe for disaster uh, that this country's headed for and um, is certainly worthy of criticism. That does it for this segment. You're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.